Sin, just wanted to tell you we've got to do SVB. That's Silicon Valley Bank. It's getting bigger and bigger. That's the message I got from my fellow executive producer, Arjit Barman, on late Thursday evening. A failing bank, panic depositors, billions at stake, and the mighty Fed as its centerpiece. They're making of a perfect thriller. Ironically, a delight for anyone tracking the financial market from an outsider's perspective. The only problem was the pieces were moving too fast and in a different time zone. SVB Financial Group became the greatest bank failure since the financial crisis of 2008. Stocks trying to bounce off the lows of the day, but the damage is done and no stock has been hurt more than SVB Financial Group today. The share is plunging the most in more than two decades. The FDIC just reported that California regulators shut down Silicon Valley Bank, a big lender out in California after reporting a loss of over $1 billion. In breaking news, the U.S. Federal Reserve has bailed out the Silicon Valley Bank, which had collapsed over the weekend. All insured depositors will have full access to their fully insured deposits no later than this coming Monday morning, March 13th. The management of these banks will be fired. If the bank is taken over by FDIC, the people running the bank should not work there anymore. So we at The Morning Brief decided to wait and not chase the news. We decided to narrate a story that may not have concluded, but has at least played out well past the interval. I speak to VCs and founders in Silicon Valley who were impacted, as well as global VC giant SoftBank, get a market perspective from Wall Street and an insider view from an Indian company who was banking with SVB. We get you the ringside view of what happened and what changes now for the startup ecosystem and the world of financing. We seek answers to what made SVB so hot that it became a victim of its own success. And how much role did VCs really play in the fame and failure of it? Is it really a Lehman moment for the startup ecosystem or is there an overreaction due to the fears of contagion? With the tight monetary policy from the FOMC, is there a risk of further skeletons in the bond portfolios of many other smaller banks? And finally, what is really the risk exposure of Indian startups and will this make them go vocal for local for their banking needs? It's Thursday, March 16th. I'm Anupra Nair from The Economic Times and you're tuned into the SVB crisis, the inside track and the road ahead. Let's rewind back exactly a week. A collapse was brewing and it was not a new age fintech or a crypto offering, but a 40-year banking sweetheart for startups. The 16th largest bank of America, which I know doesn't sound terribly impressive, but this does. Half of all venture capitalist dollars in the United States flow back into Silicon Valley Bank as deposits, mostly because of Location, location, location. SVB is headquartered in the heart of the idea ecosystem in Silicon Valley. But the winds in the valley changed on Wednesday, when whispers of a cash crunch passed around. I spoke to Hemant Taneja, CEO and Managing Director of a global VC firm, General Catalyst, who's based in Silicon Valley and has been a long-time supporter of SVB on what really transpired on the ground. You know, SVB was having um, 
some challenges. They had announced that uh, they were going to raise some capital to make sure they are regulatorily compliant. And that just sent a shockwave through the system. I think founders started asking their venture capitalists counsel on, hey, is SBB at risk? All of our money is there or a lot of our money is there and what should we do? And so basically what ended up happening is for most venture capitalists, if you're giving an advice to any of your companies and their bank is at risk, you would largely probably say something like this. The risk is probably low, but you should just withdraw cash just to be safe. And that piece of advice ended up you know, effectively creating a run on the bank. In the absence of knowing how the collective is going to behave, your individual behavior is going to be to protect yourself. Right? And that is a classic prisoner's dilemma that we were dealing with. And so every founder was getting advice and giving each other advice to just pull money out. The simple advice spread like wildfire. Junaid Bing, a serial startup founder, currently the CEO and co-founder at Mergeflow, is a customer of SPB. He told me and my colleague Dia Reiki in a late evening interview that not all in the founder fraternity were facing manic panic. So, for whether it is good or bad, Silicon Valley is a very small place. And nothing stays confidential or hush-hush. And just you go to the Starbucks one morning and then you have the chatters there already. So this whole thing, I came to know about it, let's say Tuesday evening, Wednesday time. And there has been some, I just didn't comprehend the size of it, but I already heard that something might not be right uh, around Silicon Valley Bank. And then first reaction is that also the uh, chatter got a little bit more intense. So around Wednesday, I started hearing certain investors asked their startup companies to consider some venues to kind of pull out money from SVB and park it elsewhere, which is at that time, I thought that is really getting a bit serious. So we didn't act much on that because the cash position of ours was below the insured limits with Silicon Valley Bank. From Friday, particularly, started getting a little bit ugly where we started getting completely like rejection, rejection. The payment requests were declined. But what happens in the valley doesn't really stay in the valley. It's no Las Vegas. Narendra Rati, investment director at SoftBank Investment Advisors, who was at a startup VC gathering, narrated to us how phones were buzzing just as fast in India. The announcement was made without a lot of context. This spooked people. They were like, they know something we don't know. There is something wrong here. I was actually in an event of ours and then I started receiving phone calls where people were like, okay, this bank is going down. And it seemed highly unlikely to me because this is actually one of the most respected banks in at least the startup ecosystem. And we had not heard of like, you know, crazy beds or NPS being high or even anything of that sort there at least. But then we started a lot of like companies started thinking about moving their deposits. That is when panic set in. People, like you said, their unique problem was actually the tech savviness of the clientele. Everyone who was a client of SVB was so well connected that they just were aware of what was happening. So then what ended up happening was 
everyone ran to get their deposit out. Slack, WhatsApp, Twitter, everything was flooded by what is happening at SVP. In what was a classic 21st century bank run, SVP depositors took out $42 billion in just 10 hours. The math is simple. $4.2 billion in an hour or $1.1 million every second. The largest bank run in the history of the United States. The one before this was on Washington Mutual in 2008. And even then, the withdrawals were less than half. $16.7 billion left the bank and that to over 10 days. Ed Yardeni of YardeniResearch.com, a market veteran on Wall Street, said the bears smelled blood as SVB announced losses on its bond sale and the need to raise money. So they thought that matter-of-factly, they could just announce that, reveal that, because they had to reveal that in order to go and try to raise some capital. And the markets really got spooked. Uh, some of the um, customers of the bank, some of the venture capitalist firms called up their clients and said, take your money out of there, there's trouble. And so there was a run on the bank. So it's been an example of uh, the, the same old story, um, a financial institution uh, that is run with money that's other people's money, OPM as I, I call it, just growing uh, too rapidly and uh, not being sufficiently uh, supervised. Uh, it was viewed as a uh, regional bank. The regional banks haven't been as tightly regulated as uh, the money center banks. So to just break it down, Silicon Valley Bank is a regional bank. So in theory, it is meant to cater to the needs of a local community and its day-to-day operation. But merely due to its pin code and position, the clientele for Silicon Valley Bank were the science of the startup world, from the babies to the blue blood royalty of the ecosystem. So we probe the very basic question, what made SVB such a hot choice, leaving behind the mighty names such as JPM, Bank of America and the likes of that? Sinead explains why Mergeflow made that choice. I also considered before opening the account, I considered the established banks like uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, which all of them I'm dealing with even on a personal basis or business basis as well for different, different reasons. First of all, just opening an account itself becomes an issue. You go through some other things. And then with Silicon Valley Bank, it was like quick call. You just go online and then you open an account quickly, rapidly. Novo Bank, Mercury Bank, you open an account online in five minutes. Everything, your uh, online opening account. Today, if you want to open an account in one of these established banks, you have to do in 1990s way. You have to go to their website, which itself mm-hmm. is a big deal to figure out what is what. You have to find okay. out their fee structure, which itself you have to, it is not transparent. And then you have to do a little bit of study and then you need to click a button. Somebody will call you. You have to probably go to the branch. I mean, opening an account for me was a five minute thing with Silicon Valley Bank versus any other bank. SPB used to offer certain network of theirs, which can give you certain access to the tools, a lot of perks come along with it. Then you're also looking for funding and or certain financial help in terms of whether it is loans or even equity financing. They also kind of are very active. That's, I think, what I would think as a startup friendly is. We 
from our dealings. Our software is a pay-per-use software. So for example, we needed certain technological integrations and things like that. So that could be integrated with our systems and like a payment gateway or things like that. So they all offer these services as well. So it's not like an institution that offers a, like it's, it's falling into the classic description of a bank, obviously, but it's in a very different caliber in terms of additional services that they can provide to a niche like startup versus dealing with a billion dollar enterprise. SVB was pretty much designed to help uh, folks like uh, us, like tech startups, actually. But there is a camp out there that says it is not just services, but a push from VCs that made deposits swell four times in two years, from nearly $50 billion in 2020, and with a rush of easy money and tech valuations booming to $200 billion before its demise. In fact, an article in WSJ suggests, and I quote, that more than half of SVB's loans went to venture and private equity firms backed by the borrower's limited partner commitments, a legal but slippery way to boost venture funds' all-important IRR by investing three to six months before calling investors for cash. I turned to Hemant Tanija to understand the allegation of this incestuous network making SVB too big too fast. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think this whole idea of having... Uh, there, there are two different relationships SVB has. One is with the venture capitalists where you know they send us capital lines to make capital calls. The reason we have those capital lines isn't necessarily because we're trying to goose our IRRs by a few weeks. The reason is because in a lot of situations when you're investing in a company and you have to, you don't have a lot of time to close on that investment fund and it takes a couple of weeks to get capital calls from all your LPs. So what the lines allow us to do is we can fund the company and wait for the our limited partners to actually you know send us the money that would have been required for that financing. So it's just a way to have a, a rapid response in, in being able to fund companies fast. This is not about IRR optimization. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is you know, Silicon Valley Bank really understands the risk profile of small businesses that are venture-backed versus not. So most regional banks, as you said, you know, they're used to thinking about small businesses a certain way. But the risk profile of a small business that's venture-backed is very different because A, it's got the backing of venture capital firms. And so its viability to some extent depends on how long are those investors willing to fund it, which becomes part of the underwriting process for a bank like SBB. And then B, those companies go from very small often to very big really fast, right? I mean, that's our business. And so their needs change quite a bit. And so being adaptive to be able to support a company like that requires a specialized set of services. But where do the Indian startups figure in this whole mess? How and why were they flocking to the bank in the valley? SoftBank's Nareen explains. Typically, the kind of startups which have had relationships with SVB, at least the early stage ones, tend to be the ones which are either headquartered in the US or have significant operations in the US. So given, for example, a lot of our SaaS startups will be based there. Additionally, say for example, startups which are funded by Y Combinator could be based there. So that is where the relationship gets started. You have presence there, like you mentioned, it is relationship driven. And they are really good with relationships in that code. So 
it's not that, for example, some of our companies like Delivery, Lenskart, etc. will have relationships with SAP unless there is a requirement for a loan, right? Their day-to-day banking will happen with Indian banks. One of the Indian companies impacted by the SV meltdown was listed gaming firm Nazara, who had $7.7 million in deposits in the Silicon Valley Bank through its subsidiaries, and they were unable to withdraw when the bank run happened. But now, Nitish Mithersain, founder and CEO of Nazara Technology, says all is finally well. Yes, so overnight yesterday, we were able to access all our funds. Any restrictions on those funds, uh, associated credit cards, etc., were removed. So I think we've got full access to our money. We have also transferred most of the money out of SVB, uh, once more, twice, as they say. And uh, uh, we've left some working capital in those accounts. But I think uh, we're obviously very happy and relaxed about uh, being able to get our money back. Nitish, I want to go back in time. When did your relationship with SVB start and why did Nazara, through its subsidiaries, choose to bank with the SVB? I don't know the exact time frame, you know, because this is a step-down subsidiary of Nazara. I'm not hands-on involved in each action of, you know, uh, the companies that are a bit distant. But my understanding from speaking to the team is that, you know, SVB provides a very seamless, frictionless onboarding, especially of companies outside of the U.S. And uh, therefore, it was much easier to onboard onto SVB. And given that they are a, been a reputed bank, you know, they kind of filtered through our risk mitigation strategy as well. Well, for Nazara, it is all's well that ends well. But is all really well for the rest of the system? I asked Junaid if depositors having access to deposits has really taken all the trouble away. He didn't have exposures. We didn't have money tied into other things. So for us, as a startup whose partly eggs could be on different baskets, but our, our eggs in this basket were small, and in short, we felt good. However, I knew a couple of other startups which were not in a situation like us due to their exposure. Their deposits were big. And also they had some other things like loans and things like that they have taken from Silicon Valley Bank. Now, I guess the impact of this Silicon Valley issue is very much dependent on how much your depth of your dealing with Silicon Valley Bank as well. Now, the concern nowadays is around the people today, for example, is that what is going to happen with the loans that they have been taken from uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And are they going to be, because they have taken a loan, but they didn't withdraw at all. So there's some part which has been stuck there. So now this turns out to be also an additional problem of like, how are we going to continue funding ourselves? So the impact of the situation is a little bit more, I would say, complex if the, the relationship's level is deeper. But the deep relationship in terms of loans and extending funding has not trickled into the Indian startup system that were banking with SVB. So then why was there such an overreaction in India? I am reminded of a viral post my colleague Kiran Somwanshi forwarded. From no one on the last street knowing what SVB was, everyone having more takes and opinions than even on Wall Street. This prompted Mumbai headquarters Shamrao Vittal Cooperative Bank, SVB for short again, to issue a clarification that the bank has nothing to do with the SVB crisis in the United States. 
So what caused this contagion? Narain shares his insights. One of the founders um, I spoke to said, look, if there is a run, everyone wants to be the first person to run out of the door. It's a similar situation as you are in a stampede. Like everyone wants to control the situation, but no one wants to actually be like, you know, being uh, pushed around, etc. Uh, like in a crowd. So everyone tends to run out of the door first. And that was a, like, a, you know, probably natural behavior. There was no sense of uh, sanity at all. So people had like a knee-jerk reaction to this. And like, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, I was discussing with someone, where is the Lehman moment of this crisis? There's been no big moment. Maybe this is the Lehman moment. That was the knee-jerk reaction which everyone had. But to be fair, this, these two uh, events are not comparable, right? So 2008 financial crisis was a result of loans going back. SVB, on the other hand, was different. This happened because of a run on deposits, lack of confidence on the ability of the bank to honor the deposits. And the biggest risk here was being concentrated in the tech industry. And not all banks necessarily have the same issues here. The speed of the fall was the issue here. That was stunning. And likely because of the tech savviness of the clientele, the news spread like wildfire. And in that moment, everyone was like, Bank is going down, SVB is going down, other banks will also go down. Is this the Lehman moment? It all started. But now people have come to this realization that at least, hopefully, this is not a broader contagion we are talking about. So this may not be a Lehman for the markets in a whole, but for the startup world and its financiers, it has been a wake-up call. And brace yourself for some big changes as the VC world relooks at risk amid a slowing economy. It would have been a nightmare on uh, Monday morning had the Fed's not stepped in on Sunday. So so I do think uh, they've stabilized the situation in that regard and given comfort that these regional banks are going to be a going concern, if you will. Look, I think the big obvious learning from this for all of us is about diversification. Why we all relied on just a single bank so heavily one company at a time makes no sense. And uh, I think the advice the industry will now give to startups is they always have maybe two or three banks where you keep your capital. It's an obvious learning, but it's a massive learning that, you know, we're all trying to create some best practices around right now. So there's an effort going on with a lot of us to say, you know, what advice do we give our founders so they don't find themselves in this kind of a situation again? One of the ways to ensure that would be to go back to big names. Junaid, who continues to bank with SVB, is now exploring some new age options with some good old stability. I spent all day, or at least part of the day yesterday and today, evaluating what will be our partnerships in terms of financial institutions. Now, we are just at the verge of raising our, our seed round. We had the pre-seed. And now we are going into the seed round, which is going to be bigger. And this gave me an opportunity to think for something that I was not thinking. So I should, what should be my strategy on that, right? So we discussed with my co-founders and partners, and we are thinking that we should have one bank, a treasury bank, at least, to save and put in place. This treasury bank, selection criteria is more like a 
very uh, established bank and I wouldn't like the word, but I will use it here, like which is managed in a way, an old school way of banking. Nothing fancy, maybe nothing like a high tech fly, nothing like bells and whistles. But what they do is they do banking right. That's the thing. And exposures, etc. At least somebody who can keep our money safe. That yep. is one criteria, definitely. And we are exploring a treasury bank. We are looking for local banks. And we are looking for banks which are not easy to be shaken. Now, in our strategy, we are also considering certain uh, venues like, what is it called, FinTech. They are not banks, but they are kind of pseudo service companies, which can give you a lot of leverage in terms of cash management. Because at least from our perspective, we want to kind of establish a strategy of keeping it separate our day-to-day -day cash management and payments out and accounts payable all integrated a software kind of a mechanism which can have certain assurances of safeguarding our deposit there but also a bank which is going to act like a treasury bank and that story of stability and safety resonates back home as well but nazar are telling us that they are looking to diversify their holdings even more so, given this experience, we will surely go for more stable uh, options, right? I think SVB itself was a stable option. In retrospective, it may look like, uh, you know, it became a mess, but uh, it was a top 20 US bank for established since 40 years and banked by the best of the best in the tech world. So, I think it was in itself a stable option, but I think we may go a little bit more old school as well now, even if it takes a little bit more effort. I mean, over 50% of our cash reserves would be banked in India. We have a total cash reserves. If I include SVB over, or if I exclude SVB, SVB it's about 600 crores cash. So we usually have a strategy of not having more than 10% exposure to any banking group across the group. In this case, uh, the 10% exposure really played out. And we will go back to the uh, strategy and see whether you want to you know, further diversify keep a threshold of maybe 5% instead of 10% going forward. In fact, SoftBank's Nareen says that even those not affected are going to stir up their options. Given this chute they went through, they will now definitely think through how to manage their risk. Now, whether it is diversifying exposure via treasury investments or multiple accounts is likely to be top of mind for all. The other thing people have started discussing is, should we actually have at least one big bank in the mix as we diversify. Because, you know, those are like are systemically important, unlikely they will go down. And people have even started discussing things to that extent. So what is happening here is, look, I think the context we discussed around how VC startups are evaluating, right? So people are like, okay, this bank went down. Who are the other banks which are at risk? Likely banks which have smaller balance sheets or are not as strong, right? And then people are like, okay, smaller regional banks in the US, for instance, we should probably not have an account there or maybe, you know, diversify your exposure from there. There is another impact that the market is assessing from this fallout. And the irony is, it is the silver lining. Ed Yardani evaluates that the SVB debacle may make Fed go slow on rate hikes. Uh, again, the FDIC has estimated that the banks have a loss of about $600 billion 
in their bond portfolio, which sounds awful. And it sounds like that's got to be the beginning of uh, another great financial crisis part two. Most likely is that the Fed is coming around to recognize that they shouldn't be raising interest rate much more. They've been talking about getting interest rates up to a restrictive level. And I think uh, what happened over the past uh, week or so demonstrates that uh, they're there. They are at a restrictive level on interest rates. It's already creating some real financial crisis problems. And so I think um, they should not raise interest rates again, or at least pause for a while and see how things settle down. Uh, so I think they're, they're kind of at that point, and now they have to f- uh, focus on financial stability. Last week on Monday, we probably started out with the market still thinking 25 basis points at the March meeting. The problems in the banking system emerged at the end of last week, and then suddenly the Treasury two-year note uh, falls sharply, the 10-year note falls sharply, and the market's back to 25 basis points. And some of us are saying that maybe there'll be no increase. Startups may be wishing for lower rates, but Heyman Taneja of General Catalyst says it may be wishful thinking. I got to say, uh, I'm not sure if a pause is coming. I think they're very driven to curb inflation and they're going to keep going till they feel like they have done a job. And I've always believed, you know, the rates could be in the high fives before they stabilize. But let's see where we end up. And, you know, the other thing is, this situation with SBB was really an outlier. In fact, the bigger banks are all healthy. They've managed through this period the right way. Uh, the banking system, as the president said, is in fine state. So I don't think they're panicked about it. I think they, if anything, they were um, frustrated with our industry and the fact that we caused this upon ourselves. And, uh, uh, you know, I give them a lot of credit at the risk of a lot of political fallout. I mean, I was on CNBC Squawk and there was a question about BC bailout, right? Um, the risk of sort of taking that backlash, they did the right thing. Um, but I, I don't think there's a systemic issue in the banking system. And so uh, this is not going to prevent them from doing the plan that they were on for inflation. That's my guess. Maybe I'm wrong. But that's, that's sort of my thinking around what's going to happen over the next you know, few months. The dust has definitely not settled. But as Ed's readings of the Treasury yields and the money markets indicate, the worst may be behind. There's been more talk about uh, this uh, crisis turning in, financial crisis in a few banks turning into an economy-wide credit crunch. And it's credit crunches that cause recessions. I'm not convinced this is going to uh, lead to an outright credit crunch. Uh, uh, this is putting a lot of stress on the, on the system. Uh, but I think it's also putting a lot of stress on the Fed to come to realize that they've done enough uh, and they don't have to do any more. And I, I don't think that um, the problems of, uh, in this particular situation are such that uh, they can't be solved the way the, the Fed seems to be solving that. And that's with a uh, emergency credit facility. They worked very, very well in the past and they're working again. With benefit of hindsight, we're gonna realize it was a mistake uh, was all this quantitative easing, all these zero interest rates and negative interest rates. Uh, I think that's kind of what kind of created the, uh, the, the, the problems we're facing now. But, you know, these things run in cycles and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, have the regulations and the politicians dealing with the problems um, and then we'll forget about them and find something else to uh, speculate about. It's human nature. Well, another day another headline. Even as I write this, news alerts of Credit Suisse and its troubles are crowding my notifications. 
but the conversations around Silicon Valley and the bank will continue. Startups are waking up to realize that ease of doing business can sometimes backfire badly and risk management needs to get a seat on the discussion table. One can also blame regulation that a local regional bank was managing $130 billion in money market investments without even a risk manager for most of the year. VCs can also easily be turned into the villains for creating panic as easily as they created the popularity. The reality, however, is that we are living in a hyper-reactionary time. A financial issue in today's day and age can easily snowball into a financial crisis on any social media platform, creating many mini Lehman moments. The big takeaway is not the blame game or ironically trying to spot the black swan event which could be next. But what stands out is the swift action from the American financial regulators that evaded what most are calling could have been a startup apocalypse. And watching this from a country where even the small and needy depositors struggles to find access to funds in a time of crisis for their banks, there are big lessons even for regulators to learn. The Fed did their job, but will the applaud continue? Just a week from now, Fed Chief Powell will be back in the spotlight. And the big bet is, will the SVB debacle push Powell to press the pause button on rates? As this is an ongoing thriller, stay tuned, stay informed, as pictured Abhi Baki here. You've been listening to the SVB Crisis, the inside track and the road ahead with me, Anupriya Nair on The Morning Brief. A big shout out to my colleague and fellow co-host, Kiran Somwanshi for being the sounding board on this one and Dia Reiki for all the tech connect with those impacted. The TMB team that put this together, sound maestro Indriil Bhattacharji and my very patient producer Vinay Joshi as we juggle time zones for all the recordings. Executive producers, the AAA trio, Arajit Parman, Arirban Chaudhary and myself. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform to get updates. Thank you for listening and have a great day.